Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 32 which is also the beginning of season four. So I listen to a lot more podcasts now, and I always sort of wondered about the seasons and how people decide when a season's over. Is it, is it a year? Is it a period of time? Is it a number of episodes? And for me, it really is topic, what the focus of that series, the next series of podcasts will be about. So season one, for those of you listening for the first time, was all about having Jack and sort of all the things tied into that decision, being a 57-year-old giving birth person. Season two was all about Molly, And then season three was the period of time before Molly's death, where I was living, really living out the effects of living a life of trauma, having a lot of trauma in my life. And the main purpose of this podcast is to trace the thousand tiny steps back to when I think the stone that is Molly's death was set rolling. Now, I know the logical, realistic part of my mind knows that Molly's death had a million things that went into it, not just a thousand. And that likely nothing that I did specifically caused her to be dead. But any grieving mother or father or sibling for that matter knows that for the rest of our lives, we will be wondering why, 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 why? What could I have done differently? And I have lots of people who will tell me this is an unhealthy way to think, and perhaps it is. But heading into wrapping up six years without Molly after having her for 13, I'm not in a place where I can not contemplate this on a fairly consistent basis. So today is April 1st. 2022, what would be Molly's 19th birthday? So Mm. I will start crying now because I'm having a very hard time with this one. And I think I've probably had hard times with all of them when I really think that. But being a new mom, well, a year into it, so I'm not quite a new mom, but in having a baby that forces me oftentimes to sit and be still, you know, I just have a lot of time to be in my head. A lot is happening on April 1st. So my initial thought for episode 32 was just to be sort of a real-time review of what life is like with Jack, how he's impacted our family and day-to-day life. But I've got to save that for episode 33 because episode 33 is to be about grief effects on me as a mom, (laughs) how my grief impacts parenting Jack, what does he pick up on, and all of that. April 1st, 2003 was the day I gave birth to Molly and I had Molly with the express purpose of giving Gracie a buddy. I didn't think Gracie should grow up without a sibling. Having no idea the relationship that Gracie and Molly would have. By the time you hear this, we'll be a couple of weeks into April and I'll be marching toward Gracie's birthday and then May, which is the month that we lost Molly. But April 3rd, 2003, I woke up fully expecting to go to work. I had been working. My due date was Friday, April 4th. I knew that she was coming along, that she would be arrived shortly, but I wasn't really sure when. And looking back, I thought April 1st is the perfect day for Molly to have been born. Once her personality developed, it was a big piece of her identity on her birthday. I was born April 1st, but I'm no fool, was something that Molly said a lot. So on this day, 19 years ago now, I was big and giant and pregnant. By this time of day, I'm recording this, it's about 10 o'clock in the morning right now. 
I was on my way up to Dr. Walsh's office. Mike Walsh was my OBGYN at the time. His nurse Tina was there. And I was thinking that I was probably going to have Molly that day. I had started contractions in the shower. I had called out of work with a migraine before I went into labor. And I re- remember telling Cheryl Leiter, she was the secretary at Walker School at the time. No, 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 I'm not having a baby today. I just have a migraine. And she sort of giggled and said, we'll see about that. And she was right. At about this time, I, I had been to Mike's office and I had walked across the tarmac there, across the parking lot to the hospital and checked myself in. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I let my mom know that I was checked in and my sister Johanna was on the way so my mom could come because she had been there when Gracie was born. And I had this idea that everything had to be the same. And it's funny, so much of my grief journey has been about it, keeping everything the same, that somehow it keeps Molly here. <laughs> and, you know, nothing is the same. So and I am to a point now in my progress is being sad about Molly is that I realize some things it's okay for them to change, that they would have changed had she lived. I wanted everything about Molly's birth to be like Gracie's was, because that was the only real live birth I'd ever had. You know, giving birth to Gordy had been something Kenny and I did all by ourselves and nobody knew about it. So there wasn't a lot to share or look back on that people would relate to. And then Kenny was at work. So when we went into labor with Gracie, it was nighttime. So Kenny was there the whole time. So I spent a good chunk of time by myself at the hospital. What I remember most about that was I was assigned a lovely nurse. And then a friend of mine, Ellie Duhame, whose daughters I coached and taught over the years, was a labor and delivery nurse at that time. And she saw that I was there and she switched. She got the woman to switch with me so she could be there to deliver Molly, not knowing how important her involvement in Molly's birth would be. We took some videos. Actually, the, the video that was made for our lawsuit starts off with me in the hospital with Molly in my belly and has some beautiful pictures of us shortly after she arrived. And I was chit-chatting and talking to my mother on the phone and talking to Kenny and he was finishing things up. So for the first two hours, I just got to be by myself. And then around noon, you know, labor really started to pick up. Kenny arrived, my mother arrived. Johanna was here with Gracie in the house. Things were on their way. So with Gracie, it was sort of seven to eight at night to three in the morning. And Molly was 7.45 to 3.45. So the, the time frame was exactly the same. And the hours I went into labor and delivered were the same. One was PM into AM and one was AM into PM. And my labor was completely opposite with Molly. So what's interesting is I had a really hard time in the labor part. When I delivered Gracie, the hard part was the labor part. I had a really hard time with the contractions and I threw up and I struggled and struggled. And once I could push, everything was fine. The nausea went away. I stopped puking and I was in a very, very surreal sort of state. So I tried to prepare for that. So I remember getting through the labor, not throwing up and really managing that okay. I'm thinking, okay, now we can push. And I remember my first big push. All right now, because Mike and Tina came up, they had a party to go to and I didn't want them to have to leave before she was born. I don't know. There was just a lot of funny. My stepdaughter, Katie, also came. I thought she was quite hurt that we hadn't called her up in the middle of the night to see Molly be born, but she was in eighth grade then. I think she was 13 or 14 years old. She was quite young and it just didn't seem logical. It was a school night and it might have been April vacation week. I think it was vacation week. At any rate, we didn't call her. So I made sure to call the school. I remember talking to Elaine, the secretary in Commons A, whose last name is escaping me right now. I called her and said, look, I'm in labor. Could you let Katie know and get her dismissed? And so Katie came up. I think Kenny might, went and got her or someone dropped her off. So she was there as well. So it was my mother, Katie, Kenny, Tina, and Mike Walsh, and of course, Ellie. It seemed a bit more, it was a bit more crowded than when I gave birth to Gracie and had just Danielle and Kenny and myself, but that was fine. And my mother. Once it was time to push, I remember my first big push, I farted, <laughs> which I was a bit embarrassed about. But, you know, you're pushing and that's what happens. 
The labor was easy with Molly and the pushing was incredibly difficult. She has a giant head, which I didn't know at the time. I, I figured it out. But I'd push and contract and push and contract. And then the contraction stopped and I got anxious and I tried to squat. And, and it was really a pain. And I had a bit of fear that she wasn't going to come out. <laughs> Finally, so they gave me some Pitocin, which caused quite strong contractions. And I remember Mike saying, don't push. On the next contraction, don't push, don't push. How do you not push? I think her head was out and told me not to push. She came flying out. I mean, just flying out. I had to have stitches and all this. And there she was. Sweet Molly was born. Right about the time I was pushing, the athletic secretary, Joyce Mimis, called from Concord High because the girls were all wondering if I was okay. I was in the middle of pushing. I mean, they had there been iPhones at that time where you could see each other, which there weren't. That would have been an ugly, that would have been an ugly shot. <laughs> at any rate, Molly arrived and that was April 1st, 2003. What's hard for me now is that people will tell me you should remember this with happiness. Well, of course it was a happy day and I remember it being happy and I'm happy that she was born. But right now it just evokes such incredible loss of being at me because she's not here. And the other part that's really, really hard is that I know how much Gracie struggles. I know I've said this before, but I wrote in Molly's obituary in the newspaper that the person who would miss Molly the Moses Gracie, even though I'm Molly's mother, in my day-to-day reality, at the time she died, Molly and Gracie were 24-7 together. They were just each other's person. And so I know it's hard for her and she, she struggles and worries about me. So I think she tries to keep me okay and doesn't always share it. At any rate, Molly's arrival was nothing short of miraculous and it was not easy. It took Gracie a long time to get used to Molly being around. She was little and, and I think she felt I remember a couple of nights she would cry going to sleep. It broke my heart. You know, here I am trying to snuggle two babies and everything. Of course, that all ended up being funny. The tears that Gracie would shed would no longer be about Molly arriving, but Molly departing. So here it is now, 2022, and Molly would be turning 19. And in the first years, people would flock to her grave and sing happy birthday. And I realized that, you know, these things, they wane with time. They're supposed to. It's a natural process of things. Someone else's child is newly dead and, and their birthday should have a crowd of people. I get it. I get the process, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the hurt any less. And so as I begin this, I begin thinking about here I am as the mother of a new baby. I've read up quite a bit on children growing up in grief-stricken homes. I just joined an online group for mothers who have lost children raising other children. I mean, the timing of this, I know Facebook listens to us, I think, but or some, my phone or something, but this group is fa- fantastic. And so I was just accepted into the group this morning with my early morning phone scrolling. So I put today's my, would be my daughter's 19th birthday and my 21-year-old is struggling and I'm trying to be happy for my one-year-old. To Jack, what does all this do? So Jack's birth was completely different. I remember I was so angry he was not going to be born in April. Molly and Grace were born in April. I just felt like his April due date was perfect and it would have made sense. And he was a boy, so that was different. But I think Jack (laughs) did not want to share his birth month with anybody. And along he came on March 20th, which is a beautiful day to have a baby. It's the equinox and the first day of spring. And it's the Baha'i New Year, Nauru's. So it was a wonderful time for Jack to be born, a wonderful day to be born. But Jack is an intuitive boy. And I've talked about this before as well, that sometimes when he sees him upset, he tries to, he laughs. And I always think he's laughing at me. And I think he's trying to cheer me up. Kenny was in the kitchen. He got back from Florida and Jack was going to try to knock the little TV off the, the shelf. And Kenny was, no, no, just sort of yelling, no. I don't think Jack understands that that's punitive, that it goes to him. I think he hears the anger and he hears the upsetness because he turns around and smiles. He just smiles. At first, as an adult, you think he's being a little manipulative stinker. Like, look at him laughing and yelling at him. But I really, it dawned on me that what he's doing is cheering us up. How do I navigate that? Jack, 
will grow up knowing all about Molly and he will spend a lot of time watching me cry and he will hear anger in my voice. These are natural parts of life. I'm not going to hide these things from him. Now he's a one-year-old, so I have to moderate and be careful about just how much and how authentic I am in front of him. So I understand all of this. So this morning, you know, it's, it was rainy. It's a bit sunny now, which is nice. It, it helps my mindset a bit. But he slept and I got up and my intention was to record this podcast or to continue writing. I've, I've just about finished my first blog post, which I'll talk about in a bit. And all I could do was sit and just remember 19 years ago what I was doing. And this room I'm recording the podcast in was our living room. And right across from where I'm sitting was a big white couch and the smaller white couch was here. And I had my giant belly and there's a picture of Gracie hugging it <laughs> just before I went off to the hospital. So, you know, all of these things just go through my mind. Jack is an intuitive little baby and he woke up Busted. The bed's downstairs, so I, I just got back in bed, snuggled with him, nursed him a bit, and he snuggled right up. He puts his hand up inside my shirt and holds my neck. It's like the sweetest, sweetest thing. He's just right next to me. I love nursing Jack. It's such a good thing. At any rate, I tried to get up out of bed, and he whimpered, and I thought, oh, don't have it in me for a fussy baby. And he opened his sweet little eyes, and he just smiled at me, and he reached his arms up. And so we sat on the couch. And we watched Curious George, which was a Molly and Gracie show which put a knot in my stomach as well. And we, he just, he just was a sweetheart. I just think somehow he knows I need him. I need the love. Anyway, how do I mother Jack in a healthy way as a traumatized mother who has her second child, her third child actually, in heaven? Wiping my nose in a podcast. Welcome to my life, people. If you can't see it, <laughs> don't watch. At any rate, always, 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 I feel that I would prefer Jack know his mother inside and out before he dies than finding out a bunch of things after I die. The stories that I hear sometimes about the things people find out about their parents after they die and how difficult that is because had they known, so many of their reactions and, and actions would have been different. I don't think I have anything to keep secret from Jack. I don't. I don't need to keep all of my experiences as a child secret. Molly and Gracie know that I was a victim of child abuse. Molly's death and all of that shouldn't be hidden from him. The struggles that I have had with Kenny, his dad, shouldn't be hidden from him. He will know all about Roy, my job loss. These are big parts of my life that I would prefer Jack hear from his mother, the person involved in them. With Molly, certain things, we talk about Molly all the time. Her picture is everywhere. Gracie's picture is everywhere. He will know his family. When Kenny and I can finally get to the attic, I can find pictures I have of us with baby Gordy, this teeny tiny thing, and he will know his brother. These are spiritual entities that in my beliefs are alive for him. And I believe that in his dreams and in his baby moments, he connects with them. That brings me great comfort. I had a rough morning with Kenny. I have a lot of rough mornings with Kenny. The hardest part I think is that I just feel like I do a lot and I don't always feel supported. Now, Kenny is very supportive. When he listens to this, he'll take offense to that. And he shouldn't. What's hard for me is our mindsets. Kenny didn't come downstairs until like 8, 30, quarter or nine. And Friday is a Kenny day. He's supposed to be in charge of Jack all day. So <laughs> it's already quarter of nine and I've not seen Hydra hair of Kenny. He needs to set an alarm for seven so that when it's Friday, he's ready. You know, I have to do all the preparing and organizing as if it were a barb day and I get frustrated with that. I was also frustrated because no word was made mention of about Molly. He'd been down here up and down a couple of times and then says, well, are you upset? You don't seem right today. Well, why the hell do you think I'm not right today? It's Molly's birthday. I can't judge him for his Greek path because he's her father and and he's lost as much, if not more than I have. So I get it. But I also am upset. And so that's what this podcast is for. It's all about Barb. As I march into season four, I really am going to spend a lot of time focusing on motherhood at 58. 
now and then 59 and then 60. And how it's different from mothering Gracie and Molly, how Molly's death and Gracie as an adult child impacts my mothering, how my current situation with Kenny, when Molly and Gracie were born, we were still in that very, very happy sort of blissful place of early on in the marriage and, and the bad things that were waiting had not occurred yet. It was just very, very different. And I felt, you know, I had my job in the district. I should be entering like my 30th year of teaching and I get very angry when I look at things that I should still be a part of. It hurts me. And I don't know how it should unhurt me. Most things all weigh in heavily into my mothering Jack. What I have read and what I have gleaned from psychiatrists and doctors is the least helpful. No offense to the medical community, no offense to the psychiatric and mental health community. You can go to college for a hundred years and study everything there is to study on grief and child loss until you've lost a child and really know nothing. All you can do is hopefully empathize and sympathize and take an objective look at something you've not been involved in. I will tell you right now, the best grief therapy I have received is A, doing this podcast and the responses from other grieving mothers and more importantly, the responses from people who have no idea what it's like to lose a child because they're learning about it from me in a way that is helpful and honest and open to them. I'm not sitting across from somebody so I can speak freely. When I'm recording this podcast, I'm looking at my face. I look away quite a bit, <laughs> but I have learned the most from those people in my life. I have learned the most from my grief support groups. I have learned the most from the gestures and the kindness that people have given me in my process. I have learned the most from the negative reactions and some of the other things that have happened to me in my life. So as I enter into season four and enter into parenting Jack, lots and lots of things come to my mind. First and foremost, Kenny and I have to develop a better balance around how to raise him. And in and of ourselves, me as a mother, Kenny as a father, we are wonderful. Kenny is a great dad. He's kind. He uses kind words. He's not judgmental. He's not afraid to change a diaper or give a bath. He's all of the nurturing ways and things that babies and young children need. Kenny is solid. I balance out, I guess, with organizational skills and <laughs> providing the milk. <laughs> Sibling-wise, Jack has three siblings, two that he's met probably in the spiritual realm already, and Gracie. Gracie isn't his little buddy that will wait for Santa with him. I go round and round sometimes on should I have another baby? Well, when I say have another baby, find another baby, adopt a baby, you know, have someone surrogate a baby. There are lots and lots of ways I could create a sibling for Jack. This is heavy in my head right now. It's about this time in Gracie's first year of life, heading into year two, that I started thinking about having Molly and Molly arrived just before Gracie turned two. What do I do in that regard? And then looking at the rest of my life, is that a logical thing to do? Age-wise, I thought I was an older mother at 40. Now I'm 58, as Jack is one. So in 30, 40 years from now, I'll still be here, but will I be infirm in, in a home somewhere? Jack will always have Gracie, but Gracie again is 20 years ahead of him. Who will he grow up with? Lots and lots of my relatives have already had their babies. You know, Gracie and Molly had all these cousins and, and Jack doesn't. These are things that come into my mind and weigh pretty heavily as well and things that I ponder. My mother comes every day to see Jack. She was a huge piece of Gracie and Molly's life. She was their childcare. Now that I'm spending so much more time home with Jack, I see how much my mother did for Gracie and Molly. She comes to see Jack regularly. It's 20 years into her life. She's turning 80 this year. She's having some vision trouble. She's a lot less fit than she was when Gracie and Molly were little. She was my age then. <laughs> so, but she has this unbelievable ability to sit on the floor with him 
for two hours and just ponder the things he ponders and look at things and see what he does and, and gauge his reactions and look at every book. I would come home from school sometimes. Every book on the shelf was on the floor. She had read every single one, some of them two and three times. I always had cough drops on hand because she would get hoarse and not be able to talk once the day was done. These are some of the things that are the same. You know, I've been asked, and I might have already said this in podcasts. I, I don't always keep it straight, but right now all I'm thinking about is Molly. You know, it's April 1st. Jack's day-to-day life is happy and full of family and full of love. And so none of that is different. A lot of those things would be the same for Jack. The hardest part for me with Gracie and Molly, I had birthday parties. I mean, Molly's first birthday was hers and Gracie's first and second were hers, but we always had, they had the same friends growing up. We had the same social group. So instead of having two separate parties, I had one. One year we had Lucy involved. Lucy's our neighbor up the street and her birthday is the day after Gracie's. No, the day before, April 23rd. Every year it was a theme and a party. If I could dig them out, I, I don't even know where they are now. I have so many pictures of those times that I don't even know where they are anymore. I have to find them. They're somewhere in computers somewhere. So I'm reluctant to do these things with Jack. We haven't done the 12 with the tie yet. I haven't gotten a little cake with the number one candle. You know, years later, you don't remember it was two weeks after his birthday that you posted these pictures, but I'm just reluctant to do it because I know how hard it is for me to look back at Molly's. I don't like looking at those things. Every, every candle that exists on her cake reminds me of the one that doesn't. Is that a reason to deprive Jack of his one and his two and his three? No, of course not. And ultimately I won't, but I have a very hard time commemorating the day in any big flamboyant way that I can then look back at a picture on and, and see. Jack's first birthday was at Disney. And so they're Disney pictures and we have tons of them. So I know it was his first birthday and he doesn't, but he will a day. And it just seems a bit easier to take. In terms of Jack and Gracie, so many people initially have said, and this is what's different, you know, when, when I had Molly, it was clear that they would have each other and little siblings and they would grow up together. So many people, the criticism of me being a mother at my age is that Gracie will have to raise Jack. Well, that is not ever going to happen. I'm Jack's mother. Gracie is Jack's big sister and she gets to be his big sister. But she's not going to make restaurant scenes out of toys and stuffed animals with Jack. She's not going to go trick-or-treating with Jack. She might take him trick-or-treating, but she's not going to dress up and go get her candy because she's five and Jack is three. It's different. Her relationship as his sister will be different. What I hope for and pray for when Jack is 30 and Gracie is 50 that they're friends like Bethany and I are friends, that they, like B and I, B's 21 and I'm 58. I could be his grandmother, quite honestly, <laughs> young mothers and all. He's one of the most important people in my life right now in my social realm, in my CrossFit realm. He's just a phenomenal human being. Age means nothing. In our conversations about all the things we talk about, I don't feel 58 to his 21 and vice versa. It's a wonderful thing. And it's what I love most about my CrossFit community and some of the friends I have there. The other hard piece about today is that the people that were big and important in Molly's life, the three girls that came to her birthday party, aren't here anymore. I mean, they're here, but they're all off at college and living their life. And I know they think of Molly. All of their mothers remind me that they think of Molly, but, you know, they wouldn't be here anyway. If Molly were turning 19 alive, she'd be wherever she'd be. She'd be at college somewhere. It wouldn't be the way it was, but it would need to be the way it was because there would have been six other birthdays, five other birthdays between then and now to morph and change and grow and be different. You know, it would make today a lot different. She wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be driving her to school. I wouldn't be here. And right now the house feels as hauntingly awful as it felt in the days and months after Molly was born when school started that year and she wasn't here. And it was just so difficult to be here. The house feels that way a bit. It makes me want to move or change. It makes me feel like Miss Havisham and I don't want to feel like that. 
at all. I don't know that Kenny's grief comes through in his parenting to Jack as much as mine does. There's an intuition with babies. You know, I grew Jack in my stomach. So for nine months, he and I were living together. My blood was his blood and his blood was my blood. And, and the research now on babies in the belly is phenomenally big. And I didn't have a lot of sad days pregnant with him. I was very, very focused on him being healthy and happy. And I made a point. I had some stressful days, of course, but I didn't have a lot of grief at that time. It was easy to channel my Molly energy into Jack. I was very insistent that Molly have everything Gracie had. I wanted Jack to have everything Gracie and Molly had, and I wasn't sad in either of those pregnancies. It was easy to do that for Jack. When I contemplated why did I give birth to Jack in the first place, you know, why? I think sometimes Jack was sent here to save me. From what, you ask? Well, to save me from sadness, to save me from grief, to save me from Roy, I think, to save me from negative aspects, you know, not fixing things with Kenny whatever that means. He was sent here for a lot of reasons and the inward facing part of Barb attaches all those things to his purpose. Maybe his purpose is to grow up and work at a summer camp for kids with disabilities and change a child's life. Maybe that's his whole purpose. Maybe a baby's gonna be born 30 years from now that he will impact in some way. Maybe he's supposed to grow up and give birth to a child that does a great thing, you know, create a child that does a great thing. I don't know, but I just know I was supposed to have him and in my worst moments, my grief around Molly and my decision to have Jack keep me from spiraling into a really negative place. As his mother, I often think I could be done with this now. I'm 58. I'm a young 58. I could have 40 years ahead of me where I wasn't responsible for a child in my house. That can be overwhelming sometimes. My decision to have Jack was not based upon loving being home in a messy house full of toys, responsible for a child at all. That, is, that wasn't my motivation. Some people love the chaos of kids all around. You know, Bethany has six kids. She thrives in it. She loves it. When she has her babies, it's to add to what exists already in that very, very day-to-day -day practical life. One of my high school friends, Anna Reality, she's in heaven now. Hi, Anna. Her daughter, Sarah, is now pregnant with a sixth child. Anna had six kids. I love it. And when I went once to visit Sarah to give her some tickets to a play for her kids, she was just sitting on the couch with a baby, holding a baby, surrounded by kids and looked as happy and content as could be. And, you know, God bless her. But that is not where I, where I was coming from when Jack arrived. It was far deeper and far more ethereal than that. So do I ever say, what was I thinking? All the time. <laughs> Someday, Jack, when you watch this as an adult, I apologize now. But I do. I look at him and I think, oh my gosh, in 20 years from now, he'll be 21, Gracie's age. <laughs> and I'll be my mother's age. So I look at these things sometimes with a bit of panic. And... I understand that this is the reality and that they will play an important role in how I mother Jack. Another thing I think about in mothering Jack and how my grief, grief affects me is there are some things I will want Jack to do to connect him to his sisters. Jack will dance. And I will tell you right now that Jack loves music. Oh my gosh, he, he already dances. When I go to CrossFit and the music is blaring, I look over at him and he's dancing. It's, it's adorable. It's something that he loves. It's something that's meaningful to him. It's something that he loves watching. You know, he spent nine months in my belly listening to dance competitions and he's, and he's been to a couple already and he loves it. He's riveted to the music and the stage and the noise and all of that. So, you know, he can start that in a year and a half or two years, he, he, he can start. So that's exciting. He's excited about it. And listen to me, he's excited about it. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. He will also do other things. You know, Kenny has raised two sons and Kenny looks forward to T-ball and Little League and all of the little boy things that you know, things that we call boy things. Girls play T-ball in Little League as well. But, you know, in, in raising his boys, Kenny and Davey, Kenny Jr. and Davey did all the sports. And Big Kenny was a big part of it. 
and enjoyed it and loved it. Molly and Gracie never got into the sport. I think had Molly not died, they both would have been done track or cross country in high school. Molly was very, very, very into running and very much wanted to run cross country because it was something that I did. And I think if Molly had done it, Gracie would have done it. I just think that, and I get sad sometimes, that's something that they would have really enjoyed doing together. I sent Gracie and Molly both to the developmental preschool at Conant School with Miss Kristen. That building doesn't exist anymore, which is probably a good thing in this regard. But will Jack go to there? I don't think so. I think educationally, I want to try something different. I can't just repeat the same thing because Molly and Gracie's life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to at all. And by repeating those early steps, so the superstitious part of me thinks I'll just be setting myself up for the next big job loss, the next Roy, the next financial collapse. All the things that happened in Molly and Gracie's younger years that I still feel impacted Molly dying will just happen again. So there's a part of me that looks at Jack being born in March and arriving early and being a boy and just having so many differences that I'll parent him differently and travel different paths. You know, one of the things when I was meeting with my podcast editor, we were coming up with things to talk about. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, other, other moms and babies. I'm very isolated. Jack was born, you know, there were like five or six babies born in my CrossFit gym. And I don't see any of those babies. I see Fiona because she goes to the same childcare. And Fiona's parents go to my CrossFit gym and, and Fiona's mother and I, Justina and I both coach there. So I see them in the CrossFit realm but they aren't part of my social group and they weren't part of my social group before Jack was born. I could be their parents. Their friends are much younger. So I worry sometimes that I won't have this automatic set of parent friends with babies because I've had Jack for a year and lots of people have had babies. I don't have a connection to them. Now, I live a busy life and I do a lot of things. My social connections center around CrossFit and fitness and those sorts of things. And my online social connections are grieving mothers you know, and then I have school board. And so I have things that keep me busy and keep me away from just hanging out with other mothers. These are things I'll change as Jack gets older and we start to do more activities. My milk goddess, Kelsey, she is at an interactive indoor playground with her kids right now. I could go there with Jack. These are things that as I go along, I need to start doing. The other thing that needs to be different in how I parent Jack, and this has something to do with grief, but more just to do with Barb and coming out of trauma. I think trauma will affect me as a parent with Jack far more than grief. And I think it affected me with Gracie and Molly before I knew it. But I am always, always, always running around trying to accomplish 50 things. I, I add things to my plate without consciously thinking about the reality of me accomplishing them. And it's, it's actually a big piece of my spiritual mentoring. I'm always running around doing things at the last minute. So I'm in this spiritual mentor group called The Nest. KK put a post in there from Ashwarin. And Ashwarin is a spiritual mentor to Karen. And she really looks to Ishwaran's works and writings as a basis for her spiritual reality. When we rush about, our vitality ebbs rapidly. When we act calmly, we glow with strength and beauty, even in the evening of life. Okay, so there are a lot of people who could say I'm in the late afternoon of life at 58, right? I think I'm just over halfway through. So I think I'm like at, I just finished eating lunch. <laughs> I'm going to begin the rest of my day in terms of my life. But a woman in the group responded. And she said, I needed this one. It's such a struggle. A woman named Stacy. So I responded to Stacy, same here. So KK, and I have to be honest, when I read this, I, my initial reaction was anger, being defensive of my busyness. So KK writes, Barb and Stacy, I have a gentle suggestion. What if you stop saying and thinking, AKA programming your brain, with the idea, belief, story that slowing down is such a struggle? Because we use the word struggle. 
What if you replaced it with, I am getting better at slowing down every day in every way. So she's right. And I've reread that post now several times. And in my life, in my first year with Jack, I have every day been frantic and frustrated about a list of things I need to get done and not be not getting them done. Rather than create a life where I can do what I want and focus mindfully and lovingly and calmly on things like this podcast, I hold on to things like teaching at VLAX. I hold on to things like the school board. I hold on to things and I run around in circles, living, like I said in my last episode, with the insane idea that I can keep doing it and it will just somehow be different. And it isn't different. And so as I was recording this, I saw Kenny's car drive up. I can look out the window and I put the sign on the door. So I'm going to assume that he was frustrated by this. He's just had five days in Florida and a full day to himself yesterday, even though he was back. So I'm hoping what he thought was, you know what? I just had six days to myself. I'm going to sit here. And I think he sat in the car for a while. He might've texted me. I don't know. And then I saw his car drive away. I'm quite sure he's, he managed just fine, but that's how crazy I am that I have to wait till he leaves and rush around to record my podcast. I will say I have a list of things to do today and I was going to get them all done before I recorded this episode. And a shout out to my podcast editor and my new web design person and my spiritual mentor and CrossFit friends for reminding me, do what you want first. This is what I want to do the most. The rest will come. And so here I am recording my podcast before I do anything else. So these are all things I'm sharing all of this under the umbrella of how is grief going to impact me as a mother with Jack? I have to say, all in all, it will make me a much better mother. As much as I struggle with being still in mindfulness, I am already much more mindful in what I say to Jack. I apologize to Jack all the time when I get upset because he sees it and looks at it and I acknowledge it. I'm sorry that I'm sad, sweet boy. It's not you. Thank you for being such a good baby. Thank you for listening. You know, thank you for being your normal self and crying when you're upset. You're doing a really good job communicating. Like I just try to call out all that he's doing perfectly right as a one-year-old. He's just a one-year-old. You know, babies have these wonderful, wonderful milestones that they reach. They chew on their hands and they chew on things they can put in their hands. Then they chew on food. Then they eat things they shouldn't eat. You know, babies are very, very orally fixated at that young age. Their mouth plays such a huge role in their development. You know, and Jack doesn't chew on his hands anymore. And it makes me a little sad because it just means he's moved on to chewing on the spool or the key ring or whatever. Anyway, all in all, I feel really, really grateful to be a mother again in all of my conflicts, in all of my uncertainty, in all of my defensiveness around the criticism of others, in all of my gratitude around the support of others. I will be a better mother to Jack than I was to Gracie and to Molly. You know, if you asked either of them, they would say I was a good mother. Bonnie Lara Shelley, she taught third grade to both of them and she did a Mother's Day card. And they would, you know, the, the best thing about my mom is, and they would list these things. And I love them. I have them in one of these bins here. I need to, I need to get them up on the walls. But I remember Kenny laughed at two things, one from each. Gracie had listed that I always cooked her dinner. I don't cook. But when I asked her about it, I make her chicken with star soup. I'm the chicken. That was what she thought of. And then Molly wrote that I was always right or that I was never wrong. Whenever we're arguing, Kenny will often insist that he's right. 99 times out of 99, right? At any rate, those things, if you were to ask either of them, they would not say I was a bad mother. But I've suffered so much since their birth to Jack's birth in so many ways that I think all of that only will make me a better mother. What I hope to accomplish in season four as well is I like to pull in literature. I like to pull in the words of others. I like to pull in everything that I can that's 
separate from me. You know, I spent so much time with the book, The Body Keeps the Score. As I finish that book, I'm sure that will play into how I'm parenting Jack because I'm getting into the part of that book that talks about healing. How do you heal from trauma when you can't undo what happened? How do I heal from dead Molly? How do I heal from invisible Roy? How do I heal from the job loss in the career that I wanted? How do I heal from sad Gracie? How do I heal from dead Gordy? How do I heal from these things? Failed marriage. I have so many things to heal from. That would play a big role in this season as well. I want to be clear to all my non-mom listeners, I won't be focusing solely on motherhood. So <laughs> if you're years away from having babies or you raised your babies or you never wanted kids, don't worry about it. There'll be plenty in here for everybody. I'm not a narrow. I told my new web design person, I am a wide angle lens in a telephoto world. I have a very hard time pulling it together. In terms of today, so I'm wearing a shirt. It says malls on it. Right before Molly died, you know, Gracie was in high school. Molly was two years behind. They were really, really getting into the fact that they were becoming independent and teenagers, that their clothes could be stylish. And I, I had set aside money. We were struggling financially still so badly. I had set aside some money to buy them, you know, Victoria's Secret underwear instead of Kmart underwear or Target underwear. And I had put aside money for actual Nike leggings and Under Armour and all those things instead of, again, Target or whatever. And so Concord Dance Academy, this is a Concord Dance Academy sweatshirt and it was a hoodie. And this was the, one of the first times as well that they chose different things. Gracie did not get this hoodie. She got something else. And it was interesting that they got their different things. And it made me really, well, you know, it struck me that we were turning a corner, not knowing the corner would have a dead end one month into Molly being a teenager. So I put it on today. I was, I was having a really, really bad time. And I went into Molly and Gracie's room and I looked through the closet because I just wanted to wear something that was hers. And we've packed so much of it away that, that I just felt angry. It looked just disappearing. And so I'm wearing this mall sweatshirt. So I think I'll just keep it on today because it makes me feel better. Today, I don't know. We've, every year since she's been gone, we put her age in balloons on her grave. We put how many pink balloons she was alive, 13. And then there was always purple balloons for the year she's been gone. So now we would have six purple balloons. I want my, my environmental friends to know that we don't send them up into the sky. They just decorate her grave. You know, I understand we need to worry about our environment, but on the, on the day of your dead daughter's birthday, making suggestions about the environment is difficult to take. I, I know, I know, I understand. We try very hard to, to honor her in a way that doesn't hurt helpless animals in the environment because I get it. That's not right for us to do that. I'll probably find a way to do that. She was born at 345. So you won't hear this until two weeks after she's born, but. I'm hoping people will sing. I'll probably do a Facebook Live around that anyway, because then I can get to people in real time. So that's it. That's welcome to season four. I have a lot of gratitude. I want to thank, really, I want to thank the people working with me behind the scenes, primarily Jace, my podcast editor. He's phenomenal. And I don't do well taking help. And he's very patient and kind in his waiting for me to follow through on things I say I'm going to do. So I have some things coming up. And by the time you hear this, maybe it will already have happened. But knowing me, I think it will take me a bit longer than coming right out with episode one, but I'm starting an email newsletter. A lot of podcasts that I listen to now, when I sign up for the website, I get a, a newsletter once a week or once every other week or whatever. And I love it because it, it gives me different information than just the podcast. I get to know the podcaster more and the story behind the podcast. And it gives me an email to read that isn't a junk email. So I also learn about other things that these podcasters do. So in my online growth as a podcaster and a blogger. I'm going to start writing again. I actually have a, my first blog about three quarters done. Molly's birthday, of course, is changing the nature of that blog. It's why I haven't written because I have a hard time creating and committing. You created Molly, committed to raising her, she's dead. I know that's a loose connection, but but in trying to explain how I don't follow through on things, it's, it's just been very difficult for me to, to stay committed, to set a goal. 
but I'm going to start blogging again. And I, I began the process of writing those. I have a bunch that I'd written a while ago that I just never submitted. So my website will now have an active blog site where you can read what I have to say. And they will be very different. Writing is not talking. Talking about something is completely different. If I were to have my podcast transcribed, it's not at all how I would write. I'm a much different writer. And so I feel that both of those mediums can connect with different groups of people. So I'm going to start writing again as well. And then the Molly B Foundation and the website is really pretty much set up. And we're going to have a big Molly May. So we're looking at how to fundraise for the Molly B Foundation. You know, I do sell things, sell t-shirts, sell mugs, ask people to donate, collect clothing. I do things that are very, very, I probably raise ten dollars to $15,000 a year, but I spend far more than that in the things that the Molly B Foundation does. I end up spending my own money and, and that isn't a healthy foundation and it's not healthy for me. Look for actual tangible events that you can participate in either here in Concord where they'll happen or virtually, I will always make Molly events doable for anyone anywhere because that's what she would have wanted. So some of them that come up, I'm doing a clothing drive through Savers again. And I always, always honor Jane and Skylar in my clothing drive because they both suffer from epilepsy and Savers supports the Epilepsy Foundation. So we're doing a, a month of May clothing drive. More details for that. You can look on my Facebook and Instagram pages and on the Molly B Foundation page once that's up. We're doing the Molly B Monday. So the year that Molly died and in the years following her death, the school district always did Molly B Monday. I have to sort of remind the school district of that now because Molly's, Molly would be gone by now. So a lot of people have no idea who Molly is. Theater people do and, and all. But Molly B Monday is simply a day where you wear pink or you wear an item that has Molly on it and you spend the day doing small things to make people happy. And that, so that will be Monday, May 9th which is the date of the first Molly B Monday that ever happened. There will be a Molly WAD. So WAD means workout of the day. My CrossFit gym in Concord, Amoskate CrossFit will be doing hosting a Molly WAD. I'm hoping my Amesbury friends will do the same. I'm, I'm going to set an event up there so that my CrossFit friends in Amesbury can also honor Molly. Typically I create a t-shirt for sale and that's more fun for the, for the CrossFit community. However, Molly would want anyone who wanted, wanted to participate to do it. And the workout itself, is not CrossFit specific. It involves body movements that you could do anywhere and you can scale easily. So more information on that, as well as a link to t-shirts if we sell t-shirts. And then finally, some sort of event. I think I'll have other items for sale to raise money. I haven't quite figured it out. I need to get with my board of directors for the Molly B Foundation to really create an event that could raise money that would be different than asking people for money. So you're not just sending a donation, you're paying for something tangible and the proceeds of that tangible item or activity go toward the Molly B Foundation. So these things will come. I was thinking kind of like using Molly B Monday that way. Or the month of May, you know, you babysit, you get paid $50, donate 25 to the Molly B Foundation, you know, like those kinds of things. I remember when I was in youth group, we would auction ourselves. It was like a community service auction and you'd go and do yard work for people and they would pay you, but the money went to my youth group. The ski team at Concord High School does this now. So maybe something along those lines. I want it to be I always want the fundraisers for Molly to be community building and helpful. I do need, however, a large fundraiser. Barb's Track Camp, which is at the end of June, is now a major fundraiser for the Molly B Foundation. I donate all the money that I make from that to the foundation. I don't make a lot from it, but after paying all the staff and paying everything, the most I've ever cleared in a year, I think is you know, maybe $2,000, which is a lot for me for one week of work, but you know, it's hours of planning. So now that I just run it through the Molly B Foundation, I don't see any of that money. So that's also a good way for students to donate a day of their pay. And now they've done community service, which they can utilize for school. I need other big events. If anyone has an idea of a fun, big event, a, a variety show or a road race or something that I could, that we could do to have as a fundraiser for Molly, I would appreciate it. 
I want to call out a couple of other people as well as I wrap up. So I've been listening to a podcast called OK Yeah, and it is a very, very simple, low tech podcast put together all by herself, a girl named Libby Parker, Libby. And she's phenomenal. And basically, it's just what I do. She just tells stories of her life that maybe would help somebody who's going through something similar. I listened yesterday to, a, to an episode that she did with her sister, Haley, and they, they read their journals when they were growing up and just laughed about the things they wrote. And I cried the whole time because I could just see Gracie and Molly doing the same thing. And I think they actually, I have a very vivid memory. I sent them upstairs to clean and they were going through bins and they found some of their old journals and they were laughing, laughing, laughing. Molly would drool when she laughed. That's a very, very, if you want a podcast from the mouth of a babe, she's a college-age student, really, really being honest about her struggles and what it's like to be her. And her struggles are current. Online are too, but, you know, I can talk about things that happened 30 years ago. It's on Spotify. That's where I listen. So I just a little shout out to her. And a shout out to my CrossFit Amesbury friends, to Emmy and Addie and B in particular, and how supportive and wonderful they are. I'd be remiss if I didn't. And then two other people. So a woman named Kayla, she goes to my CrossFit gym in Concord and comes to my class on Tuesday and Thursday nights. She's in the last month or so has become a very, very big piece of support. She brings her sweet son with her. He's wonderful. And Jack Jack was there the other night and they really bonded. Jack needs some big bro time. So he had a little bromance with Breed and it was wonderful. And then a shout out to a guy named Sonny. So Sonny's a member at my gym and he also comes to my 45 minute classes. He's just a low key, really good guy. I don't know anything about him other than that he comes to CrossFit and lives nearby. But he was my only, only athlete last night. So I did the workout with him. So I worked out twice yesterday and I'm a little sore today. But his atmosphere and attitude is phenomenal. He's just really fun to work out with. And I was mentioning him to him about Molly's birthday coming. And he doesn't know me, didn't know me, didn't know Molly, didn't know much about it. So it's wonderful sometimes to have the support from these people because they can be very authentic about it. They don't have an attachment to Molly attached to their support. So shout outs to them. As we head into April and May, thoroughly asking for all the good vibes and reach outs as possible. Unbelievably helpful to get a quick note or a review or an email or a text message from anyone that's listening, letting me know they're listening. And don't forget Molly. I know that's redundant. Maybe you never knew her, but I just, the hardest part for me is that she disappears. <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of this day catching up on things in a mindful way. KK, I'm not going to rush around and I'm going to try to honor Molly and wish her a happy birthday at 345. Be good to yourself. Be good to someone else. Try to make someone happy after you make yourself happy. Thank the people that help you. Remember the little things are sometimes the big things. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.